in mind, we ask you, we urge you, and we warn you, please do not throw anything towards this ring, any objects of any kind. If you are caught, you will be ejected from the garden and subject to arrest and prosecution to the fullest extent of the law. Remember that, fans. Don't make it a short evening for yourself, and don't inconvenience somebody who is here to have a great evening, which most of you are. Please do not throw anything towards this ring. And also, ladies and gentlemen, if I may have your attention for just another moment, a very special, special announcement. Due to the Texas death match this evening, and in general, due to the exciting holiday wrestling spectacular that you will be seeing unfold in just a few short moments, I am indeed very, very happy to announce that the New York State Athletic Commission has waived the 11 p.m. curfew. Hello, North-South Connection, and welcome to another episode of Territorial. I am your host, Sean Kidd, and we are here again tonight to look at another moment in time uh, from the territory days, um, things that happened in the past, where I'll go into a little bit of detail around some of the happenings in that, and also give a little bit of historic perspective. So tonight, um, I was kind of going through some different options and different shows that I wanted to do. Um, full disclosure, I literally have like 50, if not more, of these episodes laid out. But there's one that really struck out to me. And at the moment we're recording this um, pod right now, uh, we are in December. Um, right now when I'm recording and we're getting around Christmas. So, you know, Christmas shows have always been really big things. Um, super shows, you got World class. They've had their Star Wars Christmas shows. AWA had a lot of Christmas shows. Um, Starcades have happened around Christmas. So Christmas shows and wrestling, especially in the territory days, were really, really big. So I came across one that I found really, really super interesting um, from WWF. And this was in 1979. And one of the things they typically, they still to this day, is they have a show around Christmas or December at Madison Square Garden. So 1979, um, Madison Square Garden, December 17th, 1979. So I was looking at the card for this one and so many things stuck out for me 
from a historical context, um, some things that just you didn't see, some things that were new. So I thought it would be interesting to talk about this show tonight and a couple of matches that are in this. So again, we're going to December 17th, 1979. Um, this is aired on the MSG network. And as you know, um, WWF always aired shows on MSG network. How far back they went was interesting to me as I researched it because you go into the mid-70s and early 70s of the days of Bruno Martino, uh, they had their own MSG network. And I always think about, man, if I were if I were a kid and I had the knowledge of these type of things, like even with Spectrum or any of these other house shows they would do, I'm in my hometown world, uh, Capital Center, um, had shows there in the 70s and 80s um, that I went to, but I had no idea that they ever aired um, even on USA Network, Capital Center. So it's just really interesting stuff. So anyway, um, the reason why I picked this one is historically – um, there's many things that stand out from an underrated standpoint. In this. So I'm going to go over a couple of this for you. Um, so this was the televised, you can televise on the MSG network, obviously. Um, featured Mc, Vince McMahon on commentary. And I'm going to run down some of these other matches uh, before I talk about the, some of them we're going to talk about and we're going to watch and I'll kind of review and discuss the end. But here's the card. So Larry Zabisco versus Bulldog Brower. Um, that was, uh, I believe, the opening. You had Choshu and Sakaguchi versus Bad News Allen Coach and J. Joe Andrews. And yes, it is that Bad News Allen is Bad News Brown. You had Mike Graham uh, versus Johnny Rods. Then we kind of get into the meat potatoes of this card. So here's where it gets century. Hawk Hogan versus Ted DiBiase. Um, and this was Hogan's MSG debut and DiBiase's last match in the WWF for almost eight years. Um, so really interesting context here that these two are facing off. We'll talk about that in a second. We had a Texas death match um, between Bob Backlund versus Bobby Duncan, which is a uh, rematch um, from the prior month. But we're going to talk about that one in a minute and why this one's historical. This one, uh, WWF Intercontinental Championship, Pat uh, Patterson versus Dominic DiNucci. Um, we'll talk about why this one's historical in some aspect. Um W, w, you, we also had, um, so yeah, so we also have another match that we'll talk about here in a minute as we get to it, but NWA world champion, again, I said NWA world champion, Harley Race, defending the title at Madison Square Garden here in 1979 against Dusty Rhodes. I saw this and this shocked me. And so I had to do some research because, you know, these guys had feuded for a while. Dusty obviously had been in the WWF. Um, and face Billy Graham has been here, but Harley Race and seeing the NWA world champion defend his title on the Madison Square Garden in WWF town, really, really, really weird. Um, so let's give some perspective in a couple of these things. So let's start with Pat Patterson. Uh, Pat Patterson um, was what they called the North American champion, uh, which is a short-lived title that lasted until 1981. So that's one. Um, Ted DiBiase, who again we'll discuss tonight, was the first intercontinental um was the first uh, crowned North American champion um, in, on February 13th, 1979. So earlier this year. So Teddy Biasi was the first North American champion. Um, and he was awarded the title when he signed with the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. Uh, the following month, the promotion was renamed to World Wrestling Federation, and the title was renamed the WWF North American title. Um, on So anyway, on September 1st, same year, the WWF created the Intercontinental title. Pat became the inaugural champion on September 1st, 1979. It was said he had unified the title 
with the South American Heavyweight Championship at a tournament in Rio de Janeiro, although both the tournament and South America champion were entirely fictional. Um, in the months leading up to tonight's card, Patterson had a three-show run at the Garden challenging Backlund for the world title, Bob Backlund. We'll probably cover those at some point because those are the three matches that I'd definitely be interested in looking at from a feud perspective. Um, however, this show tonight... The reason why this is historical is only the second time the IC Intercontinental title has been defended at MS and Madison Square Garden ever since its inception. Uh, and the first time was the show last month, which against, ironically, was Ted DiBiase. Um, tonight, he will face Dominic DiNucci. Um, as far as the last North American champion, it still lasted a year and a half after WWF quit discussing it on TV as uh, Sagaguchi. Um, they held it for 532 days over in Japan before the match was, uh, the title was totally deactivated. So there's a little bit of context around the Intercontinental title and the importance of this tonight. Um, as far as Hulk Hogan, um, tonight is Hogan's first match ever in Madison Square Garden. And he takes on, like we said, Tim DiBiase, which is a cool throwback. Um, as we all know, the future feud in 1988 that happens between them. But tonight, the roles are reversed. As Hogan is the heel and Ted is the face. Um, and Ted um, was an integral part of 1979 WWF, apparently. For Christ's sake, he got awarded a title when he got here. So, again, very interesting. Hogan's second ma uh, first match ever in Madison Square Garden, taking on somebody who would go on to be a really, really big um, – adversary for him in the future with the roles reversed. Hogan, of course, will be managed by Classy Freddie Blassie. Okay. And we said earlier, we also have tonight Dusty versus Race for the NWA title, which to me is a cool part of history here is this would never occur in like 2023. Um, Dusty has wrestled here several times like we talked about earlier. In fact, uh, received several shots in the last year or so against the WWF champion, Billy Graham. But this is only Harley's third time ever at the Garden, and all three times were him defending the this title. And so this is kind of a big-time match. These guys have traded the title. They feuded. It's one of the all-time <clears throat> best feuds in the NWA. And so I have it here in the Madison Square Garden. <clears throat> Felt like a pretty big deal to me. <clears throat> so we'll talk about that match tonight. Last but not least, let's talk the WWF title match. So on the October... Madison Square Garden, I'm sorry, November Madison Square Garden show, Backlund and Duncan, who's his opponent tonight, went to a draw sitting up tonight's main. But that's not why this match is so historical. What is historical is the date of November 30th, 1979. Japanese legend Antonio Inoki took on WWE champion Bob Backlund in a title match. The match was held in Japan, and it ended with Inoki pinning Backlund to become the, the new WWF champion. Inoki, Inoki surprisingly pinned Backlund and won the belt. Um, a rematch was held on December 6, 1979. Um, Backlund won the match, but the bout was had a bunch of interference from Tiger Jeet Singh. Then WWF president, uh, his name was Hisashi Shinma, declared a match a no contest due to the interference. So in an interesting turn of events, Antonio Inoki, who was still the champion at the time, refused to accept the title belt, and he f forced the officials to declare the title vacant. Um, as the title didn't have a champion, a WWF championship match was set up between Bob Backlund and Bobby Duncan shortly. The Texas death match you see here tonight is actually for the vacant title, uh, the WWF title that no one in the U.S. at the time knew was even vacant. So literally, as we talk about this match tonight, it is for a vacant world title that nobody in WWF land here in the States even knew about. So Adds a little bit different context. Um, and again, WWF doesn't even recognize Antonio Noki's short-lived title reign, and its official records reflect the same. So instead, the promotion uh, recognizes Bob Backlund um, as his first world title reign as a single uninterrupted run from 78 to 83. 
which really factually isn't the case. And then we also know um, on December of, um, we know as of December 26, 1983, the Iron Sheik def defeated Backlund to win the WWE title, thus ending, I'm sorry, WWF title, thus ending the legendary run. The, the irony in all of this is two things. Um, again, the title match tonight is for the vacated title. No one knows this is in the U.S., uh, and everyone thinks it's a rematch from last month's card. The guy who beat Backlund for the title, Antonio Noki, is also on tonight's card, and we'll discuss that match. He is facing the great Hussein, a.k.a. the Iron Sheik, who would eventually beat Backlund legit for the title. Um, so there you have it. Um, a lot of firsts, historical moments, a vacant championship to be won with no one knowing it's vacant. Also, really a powerhouse lineup of talent in their younger days or in their primes on the show. Um, we're not going to talk about every match, but if you really look at the card, you got Bob Backlund, Dusty Rhodes, Harley Race, Hulk Hogan, Ted DiBiase, Pat Patterson, Antonio Noki, And we didn't even discuss um, Tito Santana, um, Ivan Putski's on this card, Larry Zbysko, we brought up the future Bad News Allen. Um, just all of these are on the card tonight, and some of them are real, real legends. So that's all the history and data points of this night. Um and so we're just going to turn it right over. And you guys heard at the beginning of the show, I played uh, Howard uh, Finkel's announcements. And basically, I thought it was pretty funny to hear him at the start of the show um, as we went into the intro of the pod, uh, shooting on the crowd to not throw trash, and then announcing the New York Athletic Commission had lifted the curfew for the holidays. And why that's so significant is it's pretty well known at Madison Square Garden. Um, which is interesting. It's kind of the city that never sleeps. Um, they actually had a curfew um, where their cards had to end at 11 p.m. But so tonight it's lifted with the context that this Texas death batch is important. It's the holidays. It's almost like, hey, uh, New York, uh, New York Athletic Commission's like uh, Merry Christmas, uh, you wrestling fans enjoy. So cool. So with that, uh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to get started with our first match of the night um, that we're going to talk about. And we're going to start it with a bunch of pre uh, promos. And it's really the MSG debut of Hawk Hogan and Ted DiBiase. So we're going to listen to a bunch of promos that have led up to the match. Um, and then I'll kind of and then we'll talk about the match itself and um, we'll talk rate it and we'll talk about it and go from there. 15th of December, professional wrestling returns to Madison Square Garden. Returning to Madison Square Garden will be Pat Patterson, the Intercontinental Champion. Returning as well, ladies and gentlemen, will be Ted DiBiase, who will be meeting a newcomer, making his uh, wrestling debut in the Garden, a gentleman by the name of the incredible Hulk Hogan. I'm sure you'll be seeing and hearing a lot of Hulk Hogan in the weeks and months to come. In addition to that, clearly we're looking forward to the Tag Team Championship match. The World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champs, Tito Santana and Ivan Putski, Meeting the contenders, Victor Rivera, his partner, Sweet Hansen. From there, the NWA championship up for grabs as Harley Race will square off against the number one contender, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. And, of course, everyone looking forward to the main event, the Texas Death Match. Throw the rule bit right out the window. No hose barred in this one. No time limit. No stopping the match for cuts, for disqualifications, for any reason at all. It's one way to settle a score once and for all between the champion Bob Backlund and the challenger, Big Bob Duncan. I guess now, let's bring on Ted DiBiase to discuss uh, this. We'll discuss your match with Hulk Hogan. What do you know about him other than the fact that he's a huge individual? That's just about it, Vince. I've heard a lot about him. I've heard that he's uh, running up quite a record, and naturally, when you become successful professional wrestling, in one way or another, you work yourself the way to New York and Madison Square Garden. This is going to be his first appearance in the Garden. I realize that, and anybody who comes to the garden wants to make an impression the first time out and he's going to try to do it and I'm the one that he's going to try to do it by and uh, 
Well, like I say, it's good luck to the man. I know he's very big. I'm going to have to be careful the way I ha handle him, but I'm going to give it my best shot like I always do. I'd like to talk a little bit, Vince, about this match. I'm interested in it. Uh, Harley Race is coming back to Madison Square Garden. He's going to put his world title and the National Wrestling Alliance on the line against uh, Dusty Rhodes. Uh, some of the wrestling fans that follow wrestling all over the country might know that but Dusty Rhodes has defeated Harley Race one other time and, and have taken that belt from him and the only man to do it in the last couple of years. And uh, I'm going to have to put the odds with, with Dusty. I think that Harley Race has run a little bit scared and he's going to come into, into uh, Madison Square Garden where Dusty is very well loved mm -hmm. and put that belt on the line. And it's like walking in the lion's den as far as I see it. And uh, I think uh, the, the people may be seeing a, a new world champion in the National Wrestling Alliance. We thank you for your time. Thank you. Ted DiBiase meeting the incredible Hulk Hogan. Uh, Mr. Hogan making his initial appearance in Madison Square Garden. We may now... Nation ...for this, the incredible Hulk Hogan, over 320 pounds, the biceps 24 inches and counting. And this is an incredible individual indeed who makes his wrestling debut in Madison Square Garden against not a bodybuilder, not a weightlifter as such, but a fine wrestler in Ted DiBiase. And I've already instructed the man, told him what he can expect from Ted. And now I'd like to get the words from the Hulk mouth himself. Let me tell you something, Fred, nose to nose and toes to toes, there's not a man alive that can get in a square circle and pin me to the mat. And Ted Biasi, you're making the mistake of your life. You are planning your destiny. I will definitely eliminate you from the squared circle in the professional wrestling career from now on. Very confident Hulk Hogan making his wrestling debut in Madison Square Garden against Ted DiBiase. Again, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to remind you of the special Christmas edition of Championship Wrestling that will be seen this coming Saturday afternoon, one week, of course, from uh, today. It's Saturday afternoon at 4 o'clock. Join us, if you would, for the best of it. And it's quite an outstanding wrestling event, I'm sure, that will be presented next week here on WOR, Saturday afternoon at 4 o'clock. Now, standing to my right, a massive individual to say the least. He makes his first appearance in Madison Square Garden this Monday night, squaring off against Ted DiBiase, who will test, no, not his extraordinary strength, but unquestionably will test his rustling skill. Mr. Blassie? I just can't believe my lucky fortune having assigned a man of his caliber to a contract. Latest edition of Blassie's Army, next world heavyweight wrestling champion, Ted DiBiase, you're in for the beating of your life. Hulk Hogan squaring off against Ted DiBiase in what should prove to be an outstanding match. Actually, a bonus match being presented on the wrestling event in the Garden this Monday night. So there you go. There's the setup and the promos for Ted DiBiase versus Hulk Hogan, which, again, would be Ted DiBiase's last match in uh, WWF uh, for, what, eight years? Uh, before he comes back as a million-dollar man, it's Hulk Hogan's uh, first ever match here in Madison Square Garden. So it's really weird with Ted DiBiase. You know, the first time I've ever seen DiBiase really was in Mid-South. I mean, I guess you would say UWF, more than Mid-South. Um, but you kind of see an evolution of him. So I saw a majority of him, obviously, in his WWF days. The Million Dollar Man thing was a big deal when I was younger. But now that I've gone back and watched, I've seen him in Japan. I've seen him in GCW. I've seen him in Mid-South. Like, he's really got a portfolio of stuff that, is really, really incredible to watch that. Again, if you watch him in 87 and only WWF, you would never know how much this guy has really done. Um, even on my last month when I did the pod, uh, when we were talking about Buzz Sawyer, Buzz Sawyer took on Ted DiBiase for the national, it's just national title. So just really good stuff. And then Hulk Hogan, seeing him early and as a heel here, 
is really, really interesting as well. And I know he was a heel. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about my perspective on that as we get to the end of the match. So anyway, Fred Blassie comes with Hogan to the ring, uh, but he doesn't stay there. Uh, the graphic says he's the fabulous Hulk Hogan, uh, but Fink calls him the incredible Hulk Hogan, which I'm sure Marvel had a trademark fit with. I'm sure that was something in the stories of time around being him called incredible. I think I remember a story about that. Uh, Vince can hardly keep his pants on watching Hogan flex. He's all about the vascularity like he is now, or vascularity um, in his biceps. Uh, DiBiase gets a full Nelson slant, uh, full Nelson on Hogan um, that he powers out of. Uh, probably a bad, you know, logistical maneuver there. DiBiase, uh, you're, you're smaller. A uh, full Nelson on Hogan, probably not the best idea. Anyway, Hogan powers DiBiase to the corner on a tie-up, and then Ted gets multiple arm drags. It did look good because... You know, very big visual there with Hulk Hogan and Ted doing those arm drags, and the crowd went nuts for it. Um, they then collide on a shoulder block, neither going down. DiBiase then charges Hogan, and Hogan basically, as DiBiase is running towards him, takes the back of his arm or elbow and just literally clocks him up to the backside of his head to send him flying to the outside pretty savagely. That was pretty cool. Uh, Hogan keeps kicking him off the apron as he tries to get back inside, and then Hogan finally suplexes him back in. DiBiase puts out, uh, puts up a fight, kicking out of the leg drop and a running elbow drop. I can't believe anyone, you know, kicked out of the leg drop, but I guess it wasn't sacred like it is uh, in in the rest of history uh, back in '79. Uh, the bell randomly rings for no reason whatsoever, which was weird. Vince actually thought the match was over, but the ref signals no. And then Ted escapes a long chin lock by running Hogan into the corner. And then I'm going to let the audio take us from here on the rest of what happens for the rest of this match from here. displaying not only strength as we have seen in the outset or all the way through the match actually but a moment ago displaying quite a bit of agility DiBiase back to his feet but just barely Hogan scoops him up uses his knee and Hogan keeps toying around with Ted DiBiase now he has him in a bear hug and it could be over It's over. So, the fabulous Hulk Hogan, victorious in his very first appearance here in Madison Square Garden, a hard-fought battle all the way with Ted DiBiase, who unquestionably showed tonight this capacity crowd. He's one of the great competitors, there's no doubt about it. So Hulk Hogan is victorious. Um, basically, a backbreaker and a bear hug got him the win. Uh, the match went about 11 minutes. Uh, I'll be honest, 
the finish was pretty underwhelming. Honestly, I, I felt like it made Ted look like a little jobberish and maybe they knew this was kind of his last night in the WWF, but it made him look like a dusty wolf kind of jobber or who would probably be a better known jobber that kind of puts up a fight um, that, you know, maybe, maybe I correlate to WCW, like he's an Italian stallion or like a Sam Houston or when he, um, when the young stallions were a tag team, they were kind of like the jobber tag team of the stars, but they would once in a while get kind of that win. That's kind of how like Ted DiBiase was portrayed here. And it's weird to me because Ted literally was the North American champion here. Like if you had asked me five years ago, Hey, did you know Ted DiBiase was a champion in WWF in 1979? I'd be like, what are you talking about? So yeah. And he was also the champion of the belt that they gave to him. Um, that eventually became the Intercontinental title. So you see how he was kind of treated here? I mean, he did put up a fight, but um, yeah, just kind of underwhelming with that finish and him just to literally have a match stop from a bear hug that, you know, bear hug is a little passe, but in 79, I guess it still had some meat on the bone. Uh, Hogan looked really impressive to me. Um, definitely looks good. It gets impressive. I could see why, you know, Vince McMahon was probably stroking out over him. Um, the other thing is about his heel. So if you guys have ever seen Rocky three and you've seen Hogan as Thunderlips, that's legit what his heel character is. He's Thunderlips. Uh, it's not like the heel he was in the NWA, NWO, uh, but he is legit Thunderlips. So it's very easy to see why he was cast in that character for Rocky three. Uh, someone obviously saw his history as a heel because yeah, he was in the AWA when he filmed this movie. Um, and I think he was like going after Nick Bachwinkle, but he was a face. But obviously someone saw the heel perspective in him. So it wouldn't surprise me if someone was watching WWF at the time that he was a heel because he's really good in that movie as Thunderlips and literally he's Thunderlips here. So um, I will say this. The match wasn't terrible. Um, I thought it got Hogan over well. Um, I think the um, there was some savageness to it. I think there was some stiffness to it a little bit here and there, a little bit snug. And I really like the spot where DiBiase ran at Hogan and Hogan basically just back armed him on the back of the head and sent him outside. To, and DiBiase took a terrible like plunge on that. So, and then DiBiase did have some good comeback fire, but all not, the ending was kind of blah. Um, I did go two and a quarter on this um, kind of a cool moment in time to see two. I mean, really are legends at this point in time um, as we talk about this today and seeing them flipped versus where they would be in the 87 into 88 and beyond uh, seeing that dynamic here. So uh, really good, st really good stuff, or at least should say at least good moment in time. Match was OK, two and a quarter. Uh, but it is cool to see that um, at Madison Square Garden. So moving on to our next match, we are going to uh, play the promos. Uh from our from the match that we're going to talk about next. So uh, Bob Backlund versus uh, Bobby Duncan for the WWF title. And after we listen to the promos, um, I'll come back and I'll add some context, kind of refill us in from what I talked about beginning on the pod when I was filling you on some of the historical values of this show um, when we open up the pod. So take a listen to these promos for these two guys as they head into their rematch here at the Garden. Monday night, December 17, Championship Wrestling returns to Madison Square Garden. Returning to Madison Square Garden on the 17th of December will be Tito Santana and Ivan Putski, the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions, meeting the combination of Raw Bone Sweet Hands and his partner, Victor Rivera. Antonio Inoki, the Japanese champion, challenged by Iran's great Hussein. We'll see on the card, ladies and gentlemen, the NWA World Title Match as Harley Race, the champion, meets the number one contender, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. And in the main event, 
A pleasure now to bring on the World Wrestling Federation champion, Bob Backlund. First of all, to a certain extent, congratulations are in order for last Monday night. You are still the champion, although I know you're looking forward to the Texas death match, a no-holes-barred confrontation, again with big Bob Duckham. Yes, I am. I was very, very happy to sign that contract in that type of a match, Vince, because the last time I find out, found out just what type of man Bobby Duncan was, there's no way that I wanted that referee to stop that match because of both of us cut too bad. I was on my feet and I was ready to go. This time it's a Texas death match, Duncan. No stopping in the match because of cuts, no count outs, no disqualification. That's just the way I want it with you. That's the kind of pe person you are. In that type of match, I can be the same type person that you are. And I'm going to defeat you. And this is going to be your first loss. Because nobody's going to get away with what you got away with. If you get away with it, a lot of other people are going to try the same thing. And I don't want nobody else doing that to my manager, what you did. So, Vince, I want to teach the whole wrestling world a lesson that they can't get away with something like that. And Bobby Duncan is the one that I'm going to have to prove to that first. Well, best of luck to you, Bob. Uh, you were cut quite severely, so was Big Bob Duncan. You seem to be uh, healed uh, to a certain extent, but I know the wound is still in the heart, and the only way to get... Uh, to get rid of that situation is to lock up in the Texas death, no holes barred. That's why I was happy to sign this contract, Vince. Texas death match, it's his type of match, but I want to beat the man at his own game. Thank you very much, Big Bob Duncan, the champion, or could be the champion, I suppose. With that in mind, let's bring on Big Bob Duncan. <laughs> shoot, Long shoot, it was not, it was a minor scratch. I actually heard Backlund beg the referee to stop the match. That's the way he saved his belt. He wasn't hurt that bad. He begged the referee to stop. Let's get a word with Big Bob Duncan. Your views of the uh, match last Monday night in the Garden and what's likely to happen in the rematch. Well, I'll tell you something. I am the heavyweight champion of the world standing right here in front of you now like Lou Albano got up here and just laid it on you like he really was. He had the referee over in the corner begging and pleading to stop the match. Begging and pleading. That makes me champion. I turned around and he attacked me and then we got into it and we threw the whole thing out this time he won't get away we may now ladies and gentlemen let's bring on the world wrestling federation champ bob backman to discuss the texas death match uh, rapidly approaching us here in the holiday season bob yes vince you know a lot of people have been asking me how are you going to win this match how are you going to beat this man he's got too much experience on you he's he's undefeated in the texas death match he uh he's origin helped originate the match he's too you know just all the odds go to him uh, vince mcmahon they asked me how I'm going to defeat this man and how I'm going to defeat him at his own game is what I have inside of me. What I feel for my manager, Arnold Skoll, and what he did for me, it's a, there's a lot of animosity built up in me. And I don't forget, Duncan, I still remember what you did, and I'll never forget that. And that's what's going to drive me to defeat you at your own game, a Texas death match, and you're from Texas. We're going to find out how well you know your own game. Because I'm going to go in there to defeat you. And I'm going to go in there to hurt you. Just like I did last time, Duncan. But there's not going to be no stopping it. There's going to be a definitely a winner. And there's definitely going to be a broken bone. And it's not going to be mine, Duncan. I know it's not going to be no picnic. I know it's not going to be easy. Because I know how bad you want to beat me. And I know how bad you want this title around your waist. But that don't mean I'm going to make it easy for you either. All right, so there you have it from the World Wrestling Federation champion, Bob Backlund. Our guest now, ladies and gentlemen, 
All the way from Texas, Austin, Texas. The number one contender. Let's bring on Big Bob Duckham. And, of course, this date rapidly approaching. Well, I'll tell you, it's getting right on down to it. It's time to really find out in somebody's mind who is the greatest. The people around here really want to know how good I am. They really want to know if I am going to be able to take him. But they've already seen him go down on TV. They've already seen him in Madison Scarden go down on his back. He was laying there begging. Had to have the referee help him out, get me from behind. So now it's into one thing. It takes a death match. How really tough can it be? How is it, how physically can you go out there and you take the punishment? And go on and on and on and fight and fight till some man can't get on his feet till some man gets pinned. Well, Backlund's already running scared. He's already crying. He's already trying to find excuses to get out of it. We don't have to worry about it, Backlund. Your only excuse to get out of it is you're going down. You're going to be, be tired. Is a lot of their main events are in the middle of the Madison Square Garden show, like before intermissions. And so this would be another example of this where we have Bob Backlund taking on Bobby Duncan. This is a Texas death match for the vacant WWF title that nobody knows is vacant except for Japan um, and the people that are involved. So again, let's recap a little bit about this. So the WWF title changed hands on November 30th, 1979 in New Japan when Backlund defended against Antonio Inoki. Um, so basically the challenger, Inoki kicked out of, uh, out of, uh, sorry, Backlund's uh, atomic drop. Um, and then pinned the champ with the back suplex. Everyone in Japan who watched him at saw Antonio capture the WWF title. Six days later, Backlund was granted a WWF title rematch. And when Tiger Jeet Singh interfered, causing the match to end in no contest, Anoki just randomly, I guess, decided to vacate the title. Don't really understand that. However, no one in the United States knows this happened. And the WWF has never even recognized what happened. So, again, it should be noted as we go into this match, this is being televised on MSG Network. Um, the Japanese, the folks that are watching this on Japanese television, their assumption is this is based on being a held up title or getting a held up belt. But in reality, those that were in Madison Square Garden the previous month, they just think this is another match, rematch. And Backlund is actually, you know, it's just interesting how this works in a different dynamic and how in 79, you would be so blinded to this that you would have no concept whatsoever. And then over in Japan, they have a totally different perspective. That's why wrestling's so great. You never know what the real story is until the real story comes out. And this is kind of a cool moment for me, I think, uh, historic-wise. So, um, and even as we get to this match, <clears throat> we have a WWF president whose name is Hisashi Shinma. And he's holding the WWF title, again, because as far as the Japanese audience, he knows the title has been vacated by Antonio Inoki. Uh, so Captain Lou Albano joins Bobby Duncan while we see Arnold Scotland with Bob Backlund before the match begins. Backlund takes hold of a headlock on Duncan and never seems to want to let it go. I mean, it goes on forever. Uh, Duncan finally runs Backlund in the corner and jabs him in the throat. He grabs the shoulders of Backlund and applies a headlock, but Backlund counters with a back, uh, back suplex. There's a nice pile driver from Backlund. Um, and there's a slow cover and he gets two, but then Duncan sees a backdrop coming and hits Backlund with the knee. Um, a backbreaker gets a near fall for Duncan. Then there's an O'Connor roll from Backlund that gets two. Then there's a running bulldog from Duncan, but uh, Backlund kicks out at two. Um, the, the cowboy gimmick, love the bulldogs. Um, my, you know, Barry Wyndham's done the bulldog. Sam Houston done the bulldog. Bobby Duncan obviously does it too. Um, but anyway, he does the running bulldog gets um, and gets a one-two count. Um, and then he throws Backlund to the floor. And as Backlund reaches the apron, Duncan runs him into the post. And Backlund falls to the floor over the guardrail, um, which is really crazy. Um, and Duncan tries to keep Backlund on the floor. And I'm going to take you to the audio on this one to close this match out and how it ended. No counter. 
disqualifications. And Arnold Skolan, the manager of Bakken, must be wondering whether or not he made the right decision in allowing Bakken to enter this. Here comes Bakken again, shoulder blocked by Bakken. Bakken over, hooks him. Has it one, two. Oh. Again, Bakken almost defeating Big Bob Duncan with a tremendous surprise. Bakken whipped to the buckle. Here comes, look at this. Over, one, two. Full transparency, this is the first time I had ever watched a Bobby Duncan match. Now, obviously, I'd see Duncan Jr. in WCW um, in the later years. Um, and that, you know, he I did enjoy him. Listen, the, the cowboy gimmicks in wrestling tend to be, <clears throat> for me, they tend to be interesting and good because they like to brawl. They like to fight. There's a lot of blood. There's a lot of stiffness. Um, and I think the cowboy um, kind of thing in wrestling is one of the greatest unheralded gimmicks uh, that we can hope to, I mean, Stan Hansen, I mean, if you, Terry Funk, I mean, just you go down the list of all the great cowboy themed wrestlers that we have and what they've brought to the table <clears throat> to the wrestling game is fantastic. But um, Duncan, uh, one, I thought his promos were really good. Uh, when we listened to those earlier, I did enjoy the promos. Um, I probably do need to go back and watch a few more matches with his because I've never, him being a, WWF title contender, I guess in the seventies makes sense, but I haven't watched a whole lot of them. So for me, I know a lot about Backlund, but, um, going into this, I didn't know anything about Duncan. So, um, as you heard, um, basically Backlund wins cause he avoids a corner chart sunset flip, um, and does a sunset flip on Duncan for the three match went 17 minutes. Um, not really sure how this is a Texas death match as it ended. Um, really weird. Um, it was mostly executed as a regular match. I didn't find it super violent. Um, I, I guess there was a couple of violent spots, but for me, it seemed like a really regular match, so I don't know where the Texas Deathmatch dip actually came in. Um, at the end of the match, uh, Backlund jumps for joy about the victory, and he makes a really big deal of it, holding the belt up in the air. And obviously, this is for the Japanese crew, uh, who really thought this was for the vacant title, so he plays to that, so really nice symmetry there. And then he actually gets on the mic and wishes the New York crowd a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Um Honestly, this match is a bit of a chore for me. Again, the step step was not needed as it netted no relevance, really, especially from a violence execution, which you would equate to a Texas death match. Um, it was basically a 12-minute headlock with five minutes of good, and I was a little bit disappointed. I mean, I still go two and a quarter, I guess, if you look at the relevancy of the times and how matches were laid out and how they did things. Um, but again, disappointed. Texas death match, not really an option. It really basically was a 12-minute headlock in you know, a lot of matches in the 70s have that, but this just wasn't for me overall. So I went two and a quarter, a little disappointed. I really wanted to enjoy this match. I ultimately 
one of the things I've discovered with Bob Backlund is I really do enjoy his matches. And I know people harp on, um, he doesn't have a lot of good promo skills. I mean, we saw some crazy ass Backlund when he came into, uh, back to the WWF, um, in the nineties. Um, but he really is a fantastic wrestler. Um, he doesn't have the promo skills, but, um, uh, Sean, in his mental state, would love to have seen a match between uh, his most other, I guess his other favorite wrestler that had zero promo skills, Ron Garvin. A Ron Garvin versus Bob Backlund match for me probably would be the end-all, be-all of uh, non-promo wrestlers that could probably bring you a five-star classic, uh, depending on the time when the match took place. So, But anyway, I'm disappointed in this one. All right, so our next match is, again, another interesting piece here. So it's Antonio Noki. Versus the Great Hussein, the Great Hussein, of course, the Iron Sheik. So as I stated earlier when we started the pod, the irony in all this is the belt, that backlink, or the retention of the belt, whatever, what just happened with the WWE title match, Antonio Noki was the one who took it from Backlund initially um, that set up that match for the Japanese. But here we are. He's facing the Iron Sheik, the Great Hussein, future hires Iron Sheik, who ultimately ends Bob Backlund's current title reign. So again, I'm not sure... It's just really weird symmetry how this occurred, uh, you know. And again, this doesn't happen until late '83, um, where the Iron Sheik wins. So you still got several. What you got four? What's the '80, '81, '82? You still got four more years until the Iron Sheik even wins this. But here they are, the last two men to beat Bob Backlund for a title belt are right here in this match. Um, so yeah, it's so pretty cool. So Anoki has the what they call the NWF heavyweight title, but obviously here Fick calls it the Japanese heavyweight title. Um, Hussein. Hate, he hates American wrestlers and goes on a rant and jumps Inoki at the bell, but Inoki fires back and slams it down. Inoki even chokes Hussein with his own headdress and then rips it up for the fans. They work off an arm bar for a while, then um, they, Inoki does a leg bar. Uh, Hussein gets uh, chops, gets free, and he does some chops to the chest and a backdrop. Then he puts Inoki in a chin lock. Inoki comes back with a standing drop kick. Hussein does one of his. Um, Anyway, so legit startling to see Sheik do a drop kick. He does a drop kick in one of this. He does a drop kick at this point. And, you know, later Iron Sheik very um, has a belly. I mean, let's be honest, a little bit of a beer belly. Um, even though in his early days he used to do the club gimmick that sort of strong, but to actually see him do a drop kick on Inoki here was pretty interesting. Um, Inoki reverses out of an ab- um, abdominal stretch into one of his own, but Hussein hit tosses out. There's a weird double KO. And Hussein hits a vertical suplex. Um, it's a vertical suplex and tries a second one, but Inoki counters with a suplex of his own. Hussein delivers the gut run suplex. Um, Inoki sees a back, uh, does a backdrop and sunset flip for two. Um, we get uh, Inoki applying an Indian death lock maneuver to a bow into a bow and arrow submission. Hussein claws his way out and gets the loaded boot ready, uh, but, Ino- but Inoki takes off the boot. And from here, I'm going to play some audio to kind of close us out on this match. So take a listen. Inoki! Block! Block the maneuver now. Inoki goes to work on the uh, boot of the same, trying to get it off. Noki scooping the ankle again, continuing to work on trying to unlace the boot. I believe he's going to make it. 
Inoki's gonna make it, off it comes! Hussain appeared to load up the other one. Hussein loaded up the other boot, now has the original one in his hand. And I believe he struck Anoki in the forehead with it. Rams Anoki's forehead uh, again into the rather peculiarly shaped boot. And a controversial footgear indeed. Referee checking Inoki, and Inoki is bleeding unquestionably. Whatever is in that boot is sharp enough or heavy enough to break the skin of Inoki, and I'm surprised the referee is allowing this to continue. Inoki on his feet. A cover, a quick count. He got it. And there you have it. Anoki gets to win over the great Hussein. Uh, you know, the loaded boot gimmick with the she, uh, Hussein has been a longstanding thing. It really came into play here. Um, he, he basically got, he clawed his way out of uh, the submission he was in and he got the loaded boot ready. And then he heard Anoki take off the boot and then um, it, Hussein they had both boots lined up. So, uh, but anyway, uh, Inoki stole it, as you heard. And then um, while the ref is trying to get the boot away from Saint Inoki staggered up and lands an Insiguri. So seeing an Insiguri in 1979 was pretty interesting, and it was a really cool-looking move. Um, this match actually was 15 minutes. Um, afterwards, Hussein beats the ref up with the loaded boot, and then he leaves the ring. I'll be honest, guys, I kind of dug it. Um, I dug it more than the first couple matches we talked about tonight. Um, yeah, there were a lot of chin locks. There were a lot of rest spots, heard it, but I'd even go two and a half on this for Shiki, baby. The drop kick alone was pretty good, and also for the Antonio Inoki and Siguri was pretty great. Um, when they And then basically also during this match when they did connect and wrestle, it was very stiff, and I love stiff stuff, but um, yeah, really good stuff here. So um, so far, this will be match of the night for me, believe it or not, and I can't believe I say that about an Iron Sheik match based on the fact that most of the Iron Sheik that I remember started in 84, 85 um, well into his later years. All right, our next match. This one for me is, oh, oh shit, really? They had this happen moment? Um, just because it's a separate promotion, and I guess it was a little bit easier back in the territory days, like in 79, that they admitted there were other world champions, there were other promotions. We brought it up earlier about Ted DiBiase and his promo earlier tonight brought up this feud between these two guys, between Harley Race and Dusty Rhodes. Um, and the, the history of that, I'm not going to go through those two. That might be something we cover later down the road. But for tonight, the fact that they're wrestling here in Madison Square Garden for the world heavyweight title uh, for me is like, wow, what a moment this must be. Um, I know, like I said, I brought it up earlier. Dusty Rhodes um, has been here several times. Uh, we'll talk about Harley Race and the times he's been here and who he's faced um, when he was been in an MSG the few times he was before this match. But first up, we're going to listen to a Dusty Rhodes promo. And as you know, Dusty Rhodes can cut a promo like nobody else. So let's take a listen to this. You're looking at the face of a fighter, baby. 
looking at the face of a man that has tasted just a little bit of his dream. You know, I have a dream all the time, but you got to remember slogans. If you dream a dream, then you got to make it come true. Harlan Race has made his dream come true. Dusty Rose, in a way, has made his come true. But me and Harlan Race, Monday night, are going to step in the greatest arena in the world. Not even the great gladiators of Roman days, baby, can surpass this spectacular event of Harlan Race and Dusty Rose in Madison Square Garden, the greatest arena in the world, and the two greatest gladiators in modern-day wrestling, and probably of all times, Dusty Rhodes and Harley Race, Monday night. It's gonna be fever, it's gonna be Monday night fever in a boogie event. Two great gladiators, but only one superior, that's me. Another fantastic Dusty Rhodes promo, talking about the dream, talking about fever. Uh, he just has such a way of cutting promos and a lot of his promos are similar in some form or fashion, but he always puts a different spin on it. Sometimes he's wild. Sometimes he's very low key like he was in this one, but it really does set up the feud um, and this match. And again, for me, this is just for the, for the historical context for me on this show. Uh, we've talked a lot about history, but to see an NWA world heavyweight title match between these two guys at Madison square garden, especially when you never know, realized that it happened. Um, is absolutely amazing to me. So Vince uh, does mention that these two have traded wins over the NWA world title, and we're actually seeing the rubber match. While Dusty has wrestled here, like I said many times, Madison Square Garden, this is only the third time for race inside Madison Square Garden. He's defended the NWA world title. Probably not very high profile. Uh, one was against uh, WWE, uh, uh, Tony Gurria, who um, many people know if you watch in the 70s and early 80s, former tag team champion with Rick Martel, and Steve Travis, who... I don't really know who Steve Travis is, but that's okay. So the match starts. Dusty hits race with his jabs and punches at lightning speed. He even goes for the quick win as he backstrop race and delivers the bionic elbow for a two count. Race backs against the ropes to make sure it was only a two count. Rhodes um, with a headlock and then race escapes, but Dusty counters a suplex and gives race an atomic drop for two. Uh, back to the headlock and then Rhodes nearly pins race again and his race tries to slam him on only to collapse and fall to the mat. There's a front face lock by Dusty and then Dusty hits a suplex but misses an elbow. Race misses a falling headbutt, though, and Rhodes is on him with an elbow drop and a front headlock. Uh, Race is now busted open. So he backs Dusty into the corner and lays in some shots, but then Dusty reverses a corner whip in for the Harley um, and for the Harley Race corner bump out to the floor, which looks really good. Back in, Dusty, Dusty delivers absolutely savage pile driver for two. Race comes back with headbutts and stomps and knee drops the head of Dusty. These guys are working really snug, really stiff. This is fantastic. Uh, Rhodes starts to dust. I'll say like Hulk up, we'll say Dusty up, and lays in some shots for a two count. Race rakes the face and returns to the headbutts. Uh, there's a suplex and a flying headbutt that connects. There's a nice knee drop that sends Dusty rolling to the apron. Dusty starts to bleed in front of the Japanese announce table, and we'll listen to the rest of the audio how this match plays out from here. It is unfortunately for Mr. Rhodes busted wide open. Harley Race rammed him from up above with a series of headbutts. They come down hard on the knee. And Race is just pouring it on the Rhodes is on his feet. Rhodes very much on his feet. No, not now, not to the canvas. Dusty Rhodes rammed head first to the ring post. Count of three. Race being ushered back. Dusty Rhodes on his feet. He's, he wants more. He's coming back. He's coming back. 
race. Doing what you suspect he might. Capitalizing, but Dusty Rhodes explodes on Holy Rice. Man, I really kind of enjoyed this match. Dusty, I mean, you heard the end there. The ref actually stopped the match. So, um, but Dusty was a bloody mess. And these guys literally um, beat the shit out of each other. And you heard at the end of the match, um, the crowd was chaining bullshit. Uh, Race then kind of smacks Dusty with the NWA world title, but then gets uh, kicked out to the floor. Um, these guys worked a snug, believable like just two bulls colliding type of match, which again is kind of my deal. Um, another one, as I've, as I've done pods and I didn't know a lot of Harley race and I like to correlate this stuff. Like I did kind of like with uh, DiBiase, uh, Bob Backlund, who I don't know a whole lot about until I started getting into some of the older matches I watched. Harley race for me, for one, um, the King Harley race is kind of the only thing that I knew of when he came into the WWF. And at that point he looked like he was 80 years old, uh, moved really slow. I didn't kind of get it at that point. I mean, obviously he was on the back end of his career. But let me tell you something. NWA Harley, uh, early Harley is one of the, I mean, probably one of the best wrestlers you'll ever see. And it was just looks so believable. Just beats the shit out of you. His headbutts are amazing. Um, especially when there's blood that comes out of it. And Dusty is obviously the perfect foil for that. Um, the home stretch in this was just savage with Harley just going to town on Dusty. Dusty bleeding everywhere and then Dusty's come back until the end. This is all really good. And like I said, no one bleeds like Dusty Rhodes and no one stiff shots a believable headbutt like Harley Race. Um, I went three and a quarter on this and I was looking up other match ratings for this. Some folks went a little lower, but I think this is a really, for me, it's all about the ambiance of Madison Square Garden. NWA world title, these two guys and the history between them. And we get to see it on a showcase here in New York City where, you know, most people don't know. It's either you see them in Japan, you see them in Crockett territory. This is great. Like this 100% um, best match of the card so far tonight. But we have one more match to talk about. And so we talked a lot about how Ted DiBiase was the first WWF North American champion. And then we talked about how Pat Patterson, um, you know, defeated him and then we got the intercontinental title so what i'm going to play for you right now is pat patterson's this is only the second title defense ever here at madison square garden for this new intercontinental title like i said earlier teddy biasi had the first um he patterson defended uh against dibiase the first time but tonight it's against dominic Danucci, who's kind of a 
I mean, he's, he's pretty legendary, but at this point in his career, um, kind of winding down a little bit. And then he goes on to kind of be like that jobber to the stars kind of situation. But I guess for tonight, this is um, okay. A little weird to me that this is placed in the main event spot. I mean, it's a title match, but you know, you just had two world title matches that have very legendary, you know, things to them and to kind of end the night on this seems a little odd to me, but you know, who knows about booking in 1979. Uh, but I'm going to play Pat Patterson's first promo as intercontinental champion. And I got a kick out of this interview. So take a listen. Along with Pat Patterson, what is this intercontinental champion? Just what it says, Mr. McMahon. Last week, Pat Patterson and yours truly were in Rio de Janeiro for the week where Pat Patterson and 20 of the world, not the United States, not northern United States, not southern United States, but from all over the world, England, France, China, Russia, all over. That is where the tournament was held, and this is the man who emerged triumphant, the new intercontinental heavyweight champion, Rio de Janeiro. Oh, now, Mr. Patterson, what happens to the North American title if, in fact, you are the intercontinental champion? Well, let me tell you something. First of all, the intercontinental champion represents a lot of money and a lot of prestige, and represents a lot more prestige than the world's championship belt because you know why? To win that championship, I had to beat 15 of the best wrestlers in the world in the tournament. And I came out on top. So I don't care who the world's champion is, I am the intercontinental champion and I'm the best in the world today. Now, as far as the North American championship belt is concerned, I really don't care what happens to it. Because now I'm up to bigger things. They'll probably have a tournament or something. I really don't care. Now I'm up to bigger things. You're looking right now on your television screen at one of the best wrestlers in the world today. Pat Patterson, the new intercontinental champion. Now how do you like that to see me on your television screen? Uh, we thank you for your time. The Grand Wizard and Pat Patterson. Before we go, they tell me you have a lot of class. Why don't you shake my hand right, and congratulate, congratulate me? Us both. Congratulations. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you very Pat much. Pat Patterson and the Grand Wizard. We shall return with more wrestling action in just a moment. I love that promo. I don't know. Again, I haven't watched a lot of Pat Patterson except when he was a stooge for McMahon during the Attitude Era. Um, and, you know, I know he's considered a legend, but that interview is really, really good. Uh, the Grand Wizard, I haven't watched a whole lot of him either. That was really good. I love the whole concept of the Rio de Janeiro uh, championship. Uh, basically, the North American title, who gives two shits? Um, there's more prestige in the Intercontinental title, so they really put the belt over. Um, really, really well here. Um, and the other thing in this is like Pat Patterson, when he became Intercontinental Champion, I, I, I said earlier, he had a really, I think he had a three-match series here in the Garden with Backlund, which we'll go back and revisit at some point, because I actually have two Patterson feuds um, kind of laid out to go back and watch at some point for this podcast whenever we get to it in 2050 or whatever, because there's so many to go through. And if we're only doing it once a month with a special here and there, we're not going to get to all of them as quick as I would like. But um, he, apparently pretty legendary feud with Backlund from a Madison Square Garden standpoint. And then also probably the more famous that people know because Madison Square Garden was kind of in a vacuum a little bit uh, with Sergeant Slaughter and Patterson uh, that played out on WWF TV, which was pretty good in some of the stuff I've seen. So I look forward to seeing some of those matches. But regardless, tonight he is defending the Intercontinental title against 
a Dominic Danucci. And what's interesting here is Vince describes there's been a recent issue between the Grand Wizard and Captain Noel Bano over Pat Patterson's contract. Patterson wanted nothing to do with Albino, and he's basically now without a manager. So the promo you heard with the Grand Wizard was obviously when he first won the title. Some time has passed, obviously, since then. Uh, but I wanted to get some historical context to the IC title. And so he has no manager. Uh, and this basically would lead into the Patterson babyface turn, uh, which in itself, like I said, leads to an awesome feud with Sergeant Slaughter and his face run. Again, we'll cover that at a later time. Uh, Danucci, like I said, is a veteran. He got a lot of intercontinental title shots here in his time frame. Um, and ended his career pretty much a jobber to the stars kind of deal. So there's hemorrhocks and wrist locks to start. Patterson delivers a cheap shot to Danucci um, and heads to the apron. Back inside, Danucci puts Patterson on the mat and slaps him a good time. Uh, Patterson takes exception and lays in some shots in the corner. He grabs a front headlock until Danucci sits up in the corner. Patterson kicks out um, at Danucci, but Danucci comes back and whips him from corner to corner. Danucci applies a spinning till hold and then bars the leg. Patterson grabs Danucci by the nose and puts the knees to him, uh, which is pretty savage. Uh, Danucci gets a hot, um, hot gets hot again and catches him um, coming off the ropes with an airplane spin. Danucci gets a two count, um, and then Danucci rolls up, gets two as well. Um, as Danucci comes off the ropes, Patterson monkey flips. Danucci and flips over on top of him for the win, which was a pretty cool end and really simplistic. I liked it because it wasn't something that was so fantastic of an ending, but it was very simplistic how Patterson just rolled over through the monkey flip and just sat on top and got the pin. So pretty cool and simplistic. Um, this is a harmless match. And again, some good snug work by both and short. I went two stars, but again, nothing legendary, nothing out there. And again, I thought it was just weird to um, just have this be the main event. So um, overall, um, a lot of historical history here, but ultimately here's the irony. The NWA outdid every match on a WWF card uh, and with the Japanese title match being second. So nothing specially WWF related here really won out for me. Uh, basically the NWA and uh, Antonio Noki uh, winning evening for me. And that's, that's, that's really hard to say. So that might expect that might shock me. Um, ultimately I expected more out of the backland match. And to main event with a six-minute intercontinental title match at MSG, um, which is your Christmas show, was very mad at me. And again, it wasn't like these matches were terrible. Um, but I think there's more history here um, with the Hogan stuff, um, with Noki and Backlund, vacant title, the NWA world title defense. I mean, it's just a lot of history here. Um, if you're going to go out and seek out any match here um, that I think is really kind of interesting to see, if you're a big fan of Dusty Rhodes and Harley Race and Air Feud and the NWA, definitely go seek this one out. Um, this is a, that was a really good match. So all said, um, to end this show, uh, to be in New York a week out from Christmas in 1979 with this show at the garden as a wrestling fan was probably the most amazing thing ever that I'm pretty sure many of us would have loved. I mean, just the stars are on this card. And again, we didn't cover every single match. I just covered the core ones that had the basic historic value that we were going to discuss. Um, this is a fully loaded card with some absolute legends and to have this at a Christmas show. Um, even though back then they might not have been considered legends, but to go back and see this now in a vacuum, it's like, holy shit, what an all-star cast. And by the way, probably the one thing I did not mention throughout this whole show was early Vince McMahon on commentary. And he did commentary solo this whole entire show. 
And I can't necessarily say he was fantastic, but I don't think he was offensive in how he did it. His interview segments were really good when he interviewed people. Um, and that's the other thing. Don't negate the interview segments leading up to this show. Um, I think the things we played for you really sold what they were trying to get and tried to pack the house at MSG. And if I were sitting at home watching these promos locally, I sure as hell would have gone in there. Um, and again, some of the little tidbits he did, like DiBiase pushing the Harley race and Dusty, um, him kind of talking about Hulk Hogan being a newcomer. Uh, I thought the Duncombe and Backlund promos were pretty good um, as well. And of course, Dusty, um, Dusty could sell you a freaking lemon of a car um, and still have you buy it for a million dollars. But yeah, good stuff overall. Historical value. Not the greatest match wise, but a lot of history here to um, contemplate. So with that, we end this episode of Territorial. I appreciate all of you listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Um, depending on when the show comes out, I will say I hope everybody has a great Christmas because I did record this one from a Christmas standpoint just because of the time frame. But I hope everybody has a happy holiday, and we will see you in the new year on the next episode of Territorial. Thank you, everybody. garden party to reminisce with my old friends a chance to share old memories and play our songs again when I got to the garden party they all knew my name no one recognized me I didn't look the same but it's alright now Learn my lesson well You see you can't please everyone So you got to please yourself People came from miles around Everyone was there Yoko brought a walrus There was magic in the air And over in the corner Much to my surprise Mr. Hughes hidden Dylan's shoes Wearing his disguise But it's all right now I learned my lesson well You see, you can't please everyone So you got to please yourself La-da-da La-da-da